We are on Yavamos Zayin Amaralov 7A2 in the Art School Gemara. The Gemara now is going back to our original question, just to review the broader picture here of what we're discussing. The Gemara on Daf Gimel from a few weeks ago said that we need a, pu- a, dr- a word in the Pasuk that says Aleha to tell us that if you have a situation of Yibam, where a person's brother passes away and he's married without any children. So there's a mitzvah to do yibum. However, if your sister-in-law is also your relative in some way, we had the Mishnah that gave 15 different examples. Let's say it's also your daughter. Your brother married your daughter. So then there is an exemption from yibum. We do not have a mitzvah of yibum. And that comes from a verse. That comes from a word, an extra word, uh, to teach us that you do not do yibum. What the Gemara has been doing until now was, was trying to answer the question of well, why do I even need a verse? Isn't it obvious? It's obvious. Even if the Torah didn't tell it to us, it would be obvious that you cannot marry, you cannot do Yibam to your sister-in-law who's also your daughter, who's also some close relative. It's, uh, it's, it's forbidden. And it would be obvious that it's not allowed. So the Gemara was trying to figure out, well, why is it not obvious? Why do I need a verse to tell me that you're not allowed to marry your sister-in-law who's also your daughter? Maybe there's a reason to say, without the verse, I would have said that really you should still do Yibam. And what the Gemara has been trying to do, and which is why we got into this whole side discussion of positive mitzvahs overriding negative commandments, and even severe neg- potentially severe negative commandments, was trying to sh- show how one would think that without the verse, without the Pasuk, one would say that you, you still have a mitzvah of Yibam. Because if we apply the principle that a positive commandment overrides even a severe negative commandment, so then we would tell you there's a positive commandment of Yibam, that should override the severe negative commandment of marrying your daughter. And you should, we should still say you should do Yibam. You know, at least you have the potential to do Yibam. You could decide to do Yibam or Chalitza uh, when, it's your, when it's your daughter. However, the Gemara never came to that conclusion. At least according to the simple read of the Gemara, it never came to that conclusion. And definitely within Yibam, to say that a positive commandment override, the, the positive commandment of Yibam would override the negative commandment to marry uh, to do Yibam and to marry your daughter. And so there, there, there is, in the end of the day, in the conclusion of the Gemara, that's not the thought process. We do not have that as a conclusion. A positive commandment overrides regular, ordinary negative commandments, but it does not override such a severe negative commandment. And if it doesn't override such a severe negative commandment, we're back to our original question. The original question, again, is without the word of Aleha, without the extra word, one would have thought that the mitzvah of Yibam overrides the fact that there's a prohibition to, to marry your daughter, who's also your sister-in-law in this case, and that without the verse telling us otherwise, one would have thought that you would have an obligation to do Yibam, that you would either do Yibam or Chalitza, but that you would do one of the two, uh, even in a scenario where your sister-in-law is your daughter. And why would you think that? Why would you even entertain such a possibility? In the end of the day, everyone agrees that from the word Allah that this is not true. But why would one even entertain such a possibility? So the Gemara now is going to give a few different reasons why you would entertain such a possibility. Uh, we're going to see today, in today's recording, we're going to give one potential reason and we're going to reject that as, as a reason. It's really not, it's going to end up being not true. So let's see the Gemara inside. The Gemara says, Why do I need the word Allah for the following reason? The following reason is why I need the word Aleha, because I would have thought that really you should do Yibam to your sister-in-law who's also your daughter, or also a close relative. 
There is a certain principle. Uh, there's different ways in, in which we derive laws. There's a whole system of how to derive laws in the Torah. And so what we're going to come to in this recording is two of the many different ways that you could derive various laws in the Torah. One principle is davar shahaya bechlal, that if you have something which was included in, uh, you have a certain law which is included in a broader law. It's a, it's a, it's a subcategory of a broader law, and yet the Torah decided to, to specify that particular law with regards to a, a prat, with regards to, it singled out a new law with regards to uh, a, a subcategory of the broader category. So then it, the, the ruling is that it teaches us about the broader category. I know we're using, uh, we need an example here, we're using vague, uh, vague terms here, but basically if you have a, a law which is a subcategory of a broader law, and the Torah tells us something about that subcategory, it's there to reflect upon the category itself. So what the, what the Gemara is trying to suggest here is that we have the law of Ashes Ach. You're not allowed to marry your sister-in-law in general. Can't marry your sister-in-law in general. It's uh, one of the arayas. It's one of the pro- prohibitions, um, and that falls under the general category of arayas. The general category of who you're allowed to marry, who you're not allowed to marry. The fact that the Torah then tells us you're wait, you're allowed to marry your sister-in-law when it's yibum. So maybe that should reflect upon the entire category as a whole to say that for any situation where there's a prohibition, when it comes to yibum, you're allowed to do yibum, even if it's a different relative, not just your sister-in-law, but even if it's your daughter or any other relative of yours, who's also your sister-in-law. So in essence, the Gemara is trying to say, oh, we should prove from this principle that if we have a general category, within that category we have different cases, such as your sister-in-law. Your sister-in-law then becomes uh, permissible in the case of Yibam, even though in general there's a prohibition. So maybe we should say that with regards to all areas, all, all other arias, all other cases where there's a prohibition, maybe it should become permissible based on this way of coming about to different laws, one of these drushas. And, but the Gemara then first proves to us this concept, that we have such a concept. The Tanya, for it was taught in a brysa, the brysa says, how do we know that this concept exists? What's the case for this? The case is as follows. There's basically one verse which tells us that when one eats kachim, when one eats food, which is designated for the base of Mikdash, when one eats kachim, when they are in a state of impurity, they're not pure, different ways to become impure, but they're not pure, so then that is deserving of karis. That's the, the very severe punishment. And then that's one verse. Another verse then says that if you eat a specific type of korban, a specific type of sacrifice called the shlamim, shlamim is a specific type of a korban, if you eat that in the state of impurity, you also get kares. And the question is, why did it repeat it? It was obvious already from the uh, the previous from, from the from the other pasuk. The other pasuk already told us. The other verse already told us that if you eat from the broader category of kachim, of any form of kachim, any form of uh, uh, food which is designated to the base of mikdash, that you get kares. Why do I have to specify a very specific type of a korban, a very specific type of a sacrifice that if you eat that, you also get kares if you're in a state of impurity? It's it's unnecessary to teach us this. It's already shlam is included in kachim. So the Gemara, why did it specify the case of Shlamim? Shlamim, which is a subcategory of the broader category of Kachim, of food which is designated for the base of Megdash. 
It's there to teach us that the case of Shlomim, the subcategory of Shlomim, is there to reflect on the broader category, meaning as follows. Shlomim, there are different, really different types of ways that you could be give something to the base of Megdash. You could give something to the base of Megdash as a korban, which is something we call Kodshem Mizbeach. It's sanctified for the purpose of bringing it as a, as a korban, as a sacrifice. And then you also have other forms of Kodshem, other forms of uh, holiness that's designated to things or to, to an animal, which is not necessarily brought on the Mizbeach, but it's just as, as, a, as a sacrifice, but it's just used within the context of the base of Megdash. It's just, it's something which is necessary to exist in the base of Megdash itself, in the temple, for, for some other usage other than uh, using it for a korban, for a sacrifice. And so the Gemara tells us the reason why the, the Torah repeats itself specifically in the context of a shlamim, a shlamim is a type of a sacrifice, is to reflect upon the entire group and to tell us that the entire group also, it's limited to a case that's brought as a sacrifice. Meaning if you eat something which is designated for a sacrifice, when you're in a state of impurity, then you get karis. However, if you eat something which is not designated, it's designated to be in the base of Mikdash, but it's not designated as a, as a sacrifice. And if you eat that in the state of impurity, so then you do not get karis. You would not get kares, uh, because the subcategory, the fact that the Torah specified the subcategory of shlamim, a specific type of a sacrifice, it's there to reflect upon the entire category. The entire category now is limited to specifically cases that are designated as a sacrifice. Not if it's designated just for, in general, for the base of Mikdash, but specifically if it's designated as a sacrifice. So this teaches us the principle that if you, that the Torah teaches us uh, a law for the subcategory reflects upon the entire category. So the Gemara is saying, Based on this principle, Hachanami, Ha'ishes Ach Bechlal Kol Arayis, V'lama Yatzda, L'Hakish Lav, L'Mal Chamaishes Ach Sharia, Af Kol Arayis Nami Sharian. Why was the sister-in-law uh, excluded that we do Yibum to the sister-in-law? Perhaps it's excluded to tell us that when it comes to all Arayis, when it comes to all forbidden relationships that are through uh, family relationships. That then that also becomes permissible within the context of Yibam. That Yibam would be allowed, it's there to reflect upon the broader category, to tell us that Yibam is allowed even if it's your daughter. That's what one would have thought. Again, that's what one would have thought. And then comes the verse that we had a few weeks ago of Allah to tell us, no, it's not true. That Allah tells us it's not true. But that's the Gemara's suggestion. Maybe we should give that as a suggestion. The Gemara now is going to reject this. Again, the Gemara is going to reject the initial thought process. The Gemara says, Midami, how could you compare the two cases? The case of the Shlomim case and the case of the Yibim case. Again, the Shlomim case is very different. Hasim Klaubis, or Prapis over there, the Torah first said, all, all, uh, Everything that's designated to the base of Megdash, if you eat in a state of impurity, you get karis. You get a severe punishment. And then it says the same exact thing. But it only says about Shlomim, about a specific type of a sacrifice. It doesn't say about all things that are holy, designated for the base of Mikdash, but it says the same exact law. It's repetitive. So if it's repetitive, it's there to reflect upon the broader category. But here, by Yibam, Hacha, Klaubis, or Prapaheter, here it's not repeating a law. That's not what's going on here. It's not repeating a law within a subcategory of the broader category. It's a totally different law. It's a law that tells us that by Yibam, you're allowed to marry your sister-in-law. It doesn't say anywhere else that you're allowed to, to, to marry uh, a, a forbidden uh, marriage through uh, through your family. It doesn't say that anywhere else. So in, in general, we say that it's forbidden to marry your daughter, your mother-in-law, whatever the case is. And over here, it just 
it's it's a, it's an exception. It's not repeating a law. It's just an exception. So it's very very different from the previous uh, the 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 previous uh, case. And the Gemara, in fact, says, and I'll even tell you that it's really, what is it comparable to? You know what it's really comparable to? You shouldn't even think this. It's, it's really comparable to, really, it's an exception to the rule. And when something's an exception to the rule, we even say that you can't even connect it to the rule itself. If we have an exception to the rule, we go so far as to say that if you have a case which is an exception to the rule, here it's, Yibam is an exception to the rule. In general, you're not allowed to marry any of your close relatives. Yibam is an exception to the rule that you go ahead, you're allowed to marry your sister-in-law in that scenario. The fact that it's an exception to the rule means that you cannot even compare it to the rule itself. Because in general, we have a principle, a different principle, that says that if you have an exception to the rule, we say that exception to the rule. If it's a chiddish, it's an exception to the rule. And it really, it's not just an exception, but it really is uh, the exact opposite of the rule itself. It's the exact opposite of the rule itself. Then I would say that it, it lost its entire identity to the rule, unless the Torah tells us otherwise. But if you have something which is the exact opposite of the rule, so then we we wouldn't we would say it lost all of its properties of its general category, as we'll see. We'll see the specifics here. Detanya, as it says in a brisa. If you have a general category. And then you have a subcategory of that general category. But that subcategory has a detail within it, which is really the opposite of what one would have thought. It's really the opposite of what one would have thought. So then it's really excluded from the general category. It's viewed as its own category. It's not even, it loses all of the properties of the general category unless the Torah tells us otherwise. That's the principle. Ketzad, what's an example of this? This is the example, it's also a kachim, it's also an example that's related to, that's about uh, the sacrifices. The verse says, What we're dealing with here is a sacrifice that the mitzorah brings. The mitzorah is somebody who has this spiritual form of leprosy, and in order to become pure again, they have to bring a sacrifice. And it's called an asham mitzorah. That's the name of the sacrifice. This sacrifice is very unique. As we're about to see, but the verse tells us that that this is this is what we call an asham. It falls under the category of an asham. An asham, it's like uh, some form of a, an, an achatas, some form of a guilt offering, sin offering. Um, and the verse tells us that the shechita, the slaughtering that we do, has to take place in the same place as the as any other sin offering. And um, and also, it's it's also it's just like the asham. It tells us that it's just like, it repeats that it's just like the Asham, even though the Torah already told us that it's an Asham. So the Gemara asks, why is it telling you all this, that it's just like the Asham? We already knew that it's an Asham. So it tells us, why does it repeat everything? Because really this Asham Mitzorah is the opposite of what one would have thought. It has certain details within it, which are really, it's not just an exception to the rule, but it's really the opposite. How is it the opposite? Because when it comes to an Asham Mitzorah, these are details within a sacrifice, but when it comes to the Asham Mitzorah, we generally sprinkle blood. In general, we sprinkle blood on the Mizbeach, on the actual altar. When it comes to the Asha Mitzorah, the verse tells us that we sprinkle blood actually on the on the thumbs of the person himself or herself. We sprinkle blood elsewhere, which is the exact opposite of what we usually do. So the Gemara is going to tell us since it's the exact opposite of what we usually do, 
So then you might think that it's it's completely we would say that it's completely removed from the broader category of an asham. It's a totally different type of an idea. Because it's the exact opposite of what we generally do. That's why the verse has to tell us, no, it has certain characteristics that are similar uh, to the asham. Don't think that it's totally removed. The verse has to explicitly tell us that it is connected. But the, the main principle here is that once it's the opposite of what one would have thought, it's totally removed unless the Torah tells us otherwise. In the case of the Torah, it does tell us otherwise. As it says, that the Mitzorah is really the opposite of what one have thought because the sprinkling is on the thumbs. You might think that the laws in general are just totally different as a sacrifice. It has totally different laws because it is uh, it, it has sprinkling not in the normal place. Turning the page to Zion of Abayah 7b1. That's why the verse says, tell us, no, but it still has some of the characteristics of an Asham. Don't say it's completely removed. That there are various laws that apply with regards to the broader category of an Asham that apply also to this specific case of an Asham Mitzorah. But the point here, the main point here is the next couple of lines. The main point here is, Let's say the verse didn't tell us that it's similar to the broader category. It, we would have said, We would have said that once this is it, not just an exception to the rule, but it's the opposite of what one would have thought. So then we would have said that that which the verse tells us to do as a sacrifice, you should do. If it doesn't tell us to do it, we would never think to compare it to the broader category. It loses its identity to connect itself to the broader category of a general asham sacrifice. So then, Hachanami, so too over here. This is what the Gemara is telling us. When it comes to Yibum, Yibum is the opposite of what one would have thought. To marry your sister-in-law in Yibum is, is the complete opposite of the general rules. So because it's the exact opposite of all the rules, it's an exception to the rules, so you cannot even compare it to any other case of Arayos. You cannot compare it to... Uh, to your daughter, let's say your daughter is also your sister-in-law, to any other case, we would not say that it's you're allowed to do yibam to any other relative. The sister-in-law was excluded as an exception, and it's only your sister-in-law. That's what, what I would have thought. So don't tell me, says the Gemara, don't tell me what we originally thought, that maybe we could learn from the sister-in-law to all other cases of Arayos, to all other cases of the forbidden relationships. No, you can't do that. The case of Yibam is really an exception, not just an exception, but it's the exact opposite of what one would have thought, since it's the exact opposite of what one would have thought. So therefore, it's limited to that, and it cannot reflect upon the broader category. And so we're really stuck. We're still stuck with the original question of, why do I need the verse of Aleha, the, the, the word of Aleha, to teach me that it's forbidden to do Yibam to your sister-in-law, who's also your daughter or any other relative, it should be obvious. I don't even need a verse. It's obvious that it, this only applies to your sister-in-law because the verse told us that. But to any other case, since the verse didn't say anything, it cannot apply to any other type of a, a forbidden relationship. And so why does the Torah need to tell us that it's forbidden? It should be obvious. So the Gemara is going to continue to give another suggestion in the next recording.